0: Let's pray. Gracious God, on this beautiful summer day, give us the eyes of faith to see how active you are in this world and how you call us to be active and join you in the dance of life. In your name we pray, amen. Seize the day. Carpe diem. Make something happen in life. Don't be passive. Dare to be great, even perhaps. Or there's this similar adage. There's a bunch of adages like this. The early bird gets the worm, which is too bad for me because I'm not an early bird. My wife's going to get all the worms. The meaning is don't wait around for others to get what might be coming to you if you are proactive and get up early, sort of carpe diem in regular time. And while the meaning in dead poet society is defined without reference to God, surely you notice that, it is enriched when God is a player in this scenario because we're not just Defiantly creating meaning for ourselves, you and me, in a bleak universe? No, not at all. And so you get an adage like this God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that one? Now, there's much to criticize about that phrase, but it does have a grain of truth, too, that connects with today. It's a lot easier for God to help us, the reasoning goes, when we are proactive, join the cause, and use our gifts. Step in, step into it. So, take initiative. Our gospel text, as Patrick pointed out so nicely, gives us a voice to this when Jesus said, you know, the famous words. And I just remember this song I I learned when I was a kid. Uh, Seek and you will find, knock and the door shall be opened. Ask, and it shall be given, and a love comes a-tumbling down. Anybody ever heard that? (laughs) Right, Dave? It's an old Holden Village song. Um, Yeah. Seek, knock, and ask. Thank you for enduring my singing. This is what the third chapter of Ruth is about. Ask, seek, knock, early bird. Carpe diem. God helps those who help themselves. Call it bold, call it even inappropriate, <laughs> it worked. You may recall that Naomi once, a we'll little recap here, once a mother to two sons, is now a childless widow. One of her sons' wives, Ruth, now a widow herself, Has chosen to stay with her mother in law, come Hades or high water. One problem for both of them Ruth was a Moabite, a despised neighbor, even worse than being from Wisconsin. Sorry. Now in Israel, Ruth had found favor and protection working in the fields of Boaz, a wealthy farmer, and himself a a distant relative of, of Naomi. But, this is important, Ruth was vulnerable here. She was an immigrant, and we know how vulnerable immigrants can be, do we not? And unmarried, with no children to care for her in her old age. Naomi also lacked social security in a land with no safety nets for the elderly. So, At Naomi's behest, we learn today that Ruth finds a husband, a future, and security in one visit to the barley threshing floor. And Naomi may have found security as well. So to quickly recap the story that Audrey already read so we get the the details of this, Naomi instructed Ruth thusly, Tonight Boaz will be winnowing the barley, sorting uh, the barley from the chaff on the threshing floor. Wash and anoint yourself. Put on your best clothes and go to the threshing floor. Don't reveal yourself right away, but wait until Boaz is done winnowing, has eaten and drank his fill, and lied down to sleep on the threshing floor. Then, Naomi instructed Ruth, go over to him, uncover his feet, and lie down next to him then Boaz will tell you what to do next. A strange story, uh, a little. Uncover his feet, more on that later. This is an obvious ploy for Ruth to get a husband and for her and her deceased family to be redeemed, which is why they keep talking about next of kin in this story. It's about... To be redeemed is something that meant a lot in this culture as as social standing and security was all about family connections, family standing, redemption. So Ruth did as she was told. And when Boaz found a place on top of the grain to lie down and go to sleep, soon Ruth was lying down next to him. At midnight, uh, Boaz woke up. Presumably he didn't know Ruth was there and was startled to notice a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. Well, I am Ruth, your servant. And then instead of taking Naomi's advice to wait for Boaz to tell her what to do, you remember that part of it, Ruth took control of the situation, carpe diem style. Ruth said, spread your cloak over your servant, for you are the next of kin. Spreading your cloak was a a symbolic gesture that meant um, marriage, for sure, in this context. So she is proposing to him. As next of kin, she is also asking to be redeemed. They're not one and the same thing. Um, her, Her and her entire deceased family redeemed. Well, suffice it to say, Boaz is pretty impressed, we can gather, and he agrees right away to marry her noting her loyalty to Naomi, to her uh, kindness for their whole family of which Boaz was a part. And he also notes that Ruth, as a younger woman, did not go after younger men as she could have, but instead chose Boaz. Now it's pretty clear he, he's pleased with, with this uh, situation. On the matter of redemption, he suggests that he was not next of kin and must, must check with another kinsman who is next of kin. He would, however, marry her. And he then asked her to stay until the morning. Ruth left in the morning before anyone knew she was there, as it was inappropriate in this culture for sure for her to be there in the first place. Now, uh, there are some interesting, uh, less innocent potential nuances in this story. One can't help but wonder... Was there a bit more that happened that night between them that were <laughs> that they're not saying um, and, and honestly, scholars don't know it 's kind of a strange story. I mean the whole lying down next to each other, uncovering feet and all now, since this is a family event, I will be as obtuse as possible, but the truth is this story is clearly. Told with all kinds of sly, suggestive references and double entendres, especially for the original audience that would have heard this story spoken orally. Now, why talk about this in a sermon? It could be fairly asked. Well, um, we want to tell the story the way it's written for what it is, and the story becomes, frankly, more playful, more embodied, and more real. Perhaps. The truth is God has pitched a tent in the real world, where we live, not some sanctimonious place that we don't recognize. So this matters. First of all, the original listeners would have understood that the uncovering of feet was also a euphemism for something else. Then again, maybe it's just feet. Second, a threshing floor was also code in that culture for other more... Carnal uses besides winnowing barley. Also used for winnowing barley. Third, Ruth's instructions to Boaz to spread his cloak also had another meaning besides marriage, something much more immediate. And, of course, just as with our language, lying with someone had double meanings, too. So, one can imagine when this story was was originally told, people were chuckling and there were glances this way and that, it was a very... Real, if if, somewhat amusing story. Well, exactly what happened that night, we don't know. Either way, (laughs) the PG or the NC-17 version, either way, this story is scandalous because even if we take the more innocent interpretation here, it was still wildly inappropriate for Ruth to lie down next to a man who was not her husband in a public place. This is why she had to leave secretly in the morning. So, if one is a legalist here, we might say that Naomi's scheming and Ruth's bold behavior should not be rewarded at all. And yet, Ruth now has a husband and the promise of redemption for her family. Boaz has a wife and a connection to the lineage of Elimelech. And they all lived happily ever after? Did they? Well, you'll have to come back next week to find out. Suffice it to say that Ruth and Boaz are the great-great-grandparents of a certain King David, whose lineage also leads to whom? Guesses? Thoughts? Yes, Jay, you're getting warm, you're getting warm. Indeed, the lineage that led to Jesus. Jesus. But let's be clear about one thing: the Bible is full of characters, even heroes, who are far less than pure, and yet God works through them without a doubt. Particularly when they are doing something that is helpful and a blessing for others, that seems to be the case in this story, without a doubt. And while we might be tempted to think God is nowhere to be seen in this story, um, God's not mentioned. Plus. It, Seems a little bawdy. There is a strong suggestion in chapter 3 that the hand of God is at work here. For instance, the term we read about in this story, spreading your cloak, has yet another fascinating nuance. Quite a lofty one, actually. It is also used in the previous chapter in verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz assures Ruth that God under whose wings you have come for refuge, will look after her on account of her faithfulness and give her a reward. Translated as under his wing, it's actually the same Hebrew word as spreading your cloak over someone in a different context, which, as we've discussed, meant marriage and other variations. So in this story and in life, (laughs) this is really getting to the point now, might it be the case that they are one and the same When Boaz spread his cloak for Ruth, offering her marriage security and a future, this was a good thing for both of them. Surely, as Martin Luther reminds us, God is at work in any and all things that bring life and blessing to people's lives. Luther used the term in, with, and under to describe how God is at work in people. In, with, and under. God does look after us through the actions of others. And God does look after others through the actions of you. This was a core teaching that we discussed in detail in the GPS course last spring. And it is particularly true with those of us who are called as baptized believers. And so, the biblical version of Carpe Diem focuses less on seizing the moment in order to secure your own greatness or reputation and focuses more on carpe diem, the purpose of experiencing God's blessings for you and blessings for your neighbor through you. Carpe diem for the follower of Christ means step up, use what you have to participate in the life of God. That being the case, each and every one of us ought to be alert to the ways that God both blesses us and cares for those around us through you and through me, despite all our flaws and wrong decisions on a regular basis. That is good news. Amen.